Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warrior. If you are new, welcome for the first time and thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that is your time. I promise to take good care of it. Did you know that the U.S. Department of Energy's NREL estimates 80 million metric tons of solar PV could reach end of life by 2050? Many millions of tons of additional waste is generated during construction and installation of these solar projects. Today's solar leader is Emily Oxl O'Leary, and she shares how her waste management and landfill diversion business can partner with recycling companies to recover and reuse not just components from broken solar panels, but the related debris, reducing waste and conserving resources on hundreds, nay thousands of solar sites. Her company, Green Clean Solar, addresses trash on solar installations today, but positions us all to be able to manage the future end of life issues. We have to figure out as we put millions of solar panels out there into the world. If you like this kind of content, then you are certainly in the right place as we have interviewed over 550 solar leaders and founders to bring you tools and practical guidance on how to build your career and solar business. I hope that you'll subscribe to the show because I'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. You could also Find all of our back catalog at mysuncast.com, along with other ways that you can engage with us and our audience. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. The problem in post-installation, end-of-life, salvage value, second life, as it were, of the solar industry is one that has been growing in sort of visibility and concern for a lot of folks in, especially in the utility scale side of the business. And today's guest stumbled across the reality that there is a ton of waste in the post-installation construction process, as well as the end of life sort of salvage process for these giant solar assets that we're deploying where many cases, the older projects in Europe and some even in the United States now are coming up for repowering. They're coming up for end-of-life decommissioning. And as a savvy developer, you ought to be thinking about how you're handling all of those repowering, decommissioning in your financial model. But you don't have any data. You don't have any facts. You don't have any numbers to put into that business model. But today we're going to help you. We're going to help you because... You need to know that there is an alternative to landfill for these solar panels. There is an alternative opportunity for waste management on site during construction and after. The CEO and owner of Green Clean Solar, Emily O'Leary, 
is going to talk to us about what she learned in her first solar venture, Sunshine Solar, that led to her new solar venture, Green Clean Solar, and how she's cleaning up the solar array landscape and helping us all tighten up our business models in the process. She spent a lot of time working with companies across the landscape from Amazon to Target and L'Oreal to Blue Cross, Blue Shield. She's developed a deep understanding of the construction side of our business. And today she's going to share it all with us as we uh, learn to take out the trash and sort and recycle it. Welcome to Suncast, Emily O'Leary. Thank you, Nico. It's awesome to be here and to be talking to you and to to address this topic that I think mm. a lot of people in our industry want more information about. It's a much needed topic. So why don't we just from the top address the problem as you identified it when you were building one of the fastest growing construction companies focused on utility scale solar, Sunshine Solar, back a few years ago. Talk to me about the problem you saw in the industry. We started to take on, as a mechanical installer, we started to take on utility scale projects. And one of the reasons is because our clients that we were working with were also growing. They were also taking on large scale utility projects. And so we kind of moved in that direction, even though that's a big leap, you know, when you're starting with one to three megawatt, maybe five megawatt, and then all of a sudden you're doing 50, 60 to 100 megawatt. It's a whole nother ball game. It really is. It's like going from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And so during that process of taking on as a mechanical installer, large utility scale projects is when it really hit me because I would go out to the field. I would talk with my workers. And if anybody, you know, who's watching this and has been on a utility scale project, it requires so much coordination, so much planning, because you have so many vendors, contractors, all in one place, right? They're kind of, I, I see like little ants just going all over the site, right? So we were out there, our scope of work was to build it. So as a mechanical installer, you're responsible for getting all the racking, staging it, you know, driving the piles, getting the racking, getting the solar panels out there in the boxes with all the material. So during one specific project, it was 106 megawatt. We started building it, right? Our guys are so good. They're with their hand tools. They're out there building it. And the, and the waste is just going everywhere, right? It's just flying everywhere. They don't care about it, right? Because they're there to reach a milestone to build this site in a very short amount of time. So the waste was really not their concern. My client was sending me emails and like, you know, this trash is everywhere. It's, it's such a problem. And I was getting frustrated because it was, and I didn't know what to do with it. I'm just like, holy crap, there is so much going so fast yeah. and it's, there's no process to it. And so he was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated. And that is what really motivated me to be like, this is a problem. And, and it can't just be our company being out here in a utility scale project that this really was like a slap in the face to be like, Emily, we, we can't keep doing this, not mm. just for our customers, but there's got to be a problem. That's what made me realize that 
there, there's got to be a solution to this somehow, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense or could you share a sense of the, like, how do you measure waste in the install process on a solar project? Is it in tons? Like, what's the metric? What's the actual unit involved? At that time, there was no measure except the number of containers that was mm-hmm. ordered to haul it to the landfill. Ah, uh, it was all going into containers. 100% of it. Everything was just, we're just dumping it into the 30-yard containers or 40-yard containers, and it's going to the landfill. Every day, you will have about three hauls per day on a how utility many, scale project. How many total hauls was that for that 106 megawatt project? So here's the normal planning for every one megawatt, you have between three to four hauls. So if you have, let's say, 100 megawatt, you're looking at 300 containers. That's about average. And in that container, what, what is the makeup of what's being hauled away? When a mechanical installer gets on site, you also have the electricians. And sometimes electricians will have their own hauls, their own containers, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where they are on the site. Sometimes, you know, it, and it also depends on the client. Like if the, if the EPC has one client or one subcontractor that's doing the electric and the mechanical, then they'll probably share the containers. Sure. But I see a lot, like we were separate from the electricians. Mm-hmm. So we had our own waste dumpster line item in, yeah. our, in our project. Okay. So we just had, you know, we, we just scheduled it on a regular basis. And what's included in that container? Like what's the stuff yes. that's in there? So all the stuff that's in there will be uh, wooden pallets, cardboard, plastic, and again, some electrical components, cables, cut wires. They couldn't uh-huh. use. Just like n- nips and, bi- and bits and bits and bobs of stuff that gets picked yeah. up on the site, you know, like a one foot section of, of wire that had to get cut off, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. But the majority of the waste, Nico, is literally from the solar panel packaging. That creates the massive amount of waste on a solar site, more than anything you will see. Emily, this is fascinating, and there's an abundance of ignorance around what's happening in the waste stream on these sites. And a number of project managers and company owners pulling their hair out, uh, waiting on a solution. So would you introduce me to Green Clean Solar And how what you've built is attempting to solve the problem you've just enunciated. So my mission when I started this business was to provide a solution to the solar industry by revolutionizing the way we are handling waste by supporting a diverse workforce. So again, allowing our customers who are building these amazing projects to have resources have solutions to this waste problem. In order to do that, you know, I'm building this great diverse workforce along the way. Mm. And I feel that the more time goes on with innovation, with equipment, with companies that are partnering with me, you know, it takes time to number one, find these partners that can handle the waste, but also at the capacity that these solar projects offer because You know, there may be a little mom and pop recycler down the road, but when I tell them, you know, we're going to have tons, literally tons of material, Mm -hmm. can you take this? And what I'm finding is for the past year, my partners have not only embraced this, but they are actually 
adding to their facility to accommodate this avalanche of waste yeah. that's going to be coming mm. down the pipeline. Avalanche of waste. So I, what I hear is the first steps towards like a waste management to borrow from a name of another company that folks will recognize for the solar industry. Is there any sort of standardization that you're bringing to the process that didn't exist before? What we have to do is change the behavior mm -hmm. of what has been going on for years. Like people, you know, when you went to talk about recycling of the yogurt things, like people have to change their behavior on what they're doing with waste. Mm -hmm, and the right. only way to do that is to give them solutions. Like they didn't want to use water bottles anymore out of plastic because right. those are disposable. So mm -hmm. they changed their behavior and bought cans aluminum yeah. cans that were for water that was able to be recycled. So right. maybe if that helps it frame yeah. the question more that we have to change people's behavior and their actions when mm -hmm. it comes to that. And you would be surprised, Nico, I've been on a job site where I'm at the toolbox, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, look, I'm here with green, clean solar. We're changing the way we are managing the waste on this job site. It's not just us, but I need you to buy in to this concept. And yeah. you would be surprised. Everybody, you know, all the vendors that are there are yeah. like, hey, I see a container out here that says plastic. I see a container out here now that says cardboard. So what are they doing? They're going and they're putting the stuff in the right containers. Yeah, because people get it, right? We've yeah. we've now been able to train as a society our brain to look for the blue container or whatever, you know, the the recycling container. That's wonderful. And uh and you're you are standardizing that process in large scale. It has been received one hundred percent positive. Mm -hmm. And not just and I will tell you this because this was brought to my attention, mm -hmm. not just that we are providing recycling solutions. Mm -hmm. But I've had executives come to the job site who, you know, they drive in their truck and they go around and they're like, oh, my gosh, Emily, this site is so clean. Wow. We've never seen a site this clean. And my perspective, again, this is coming from the executive. It's because when it's so clean, our safety issues mm. have been reduced. We're not going to have slips and falls. I mean, you may, but mm -hmm. they've been significantly reduced. So his perspective was on the safety of keeping a site clean. Not so much, yes, we're recycling all this, but his goal was like, I want it clean because it's going to reduce the amount of incidents. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I, I didn't really even think about that, you know, yeah. but, you know, our, our folks are driving around the buggy. They're picking up those green straps that get left oh, all, yeah. all over the place and flying cardboard. So looking at that perspective, we're, we're very, we're very happy to say that, Hey, not only are we doing a good thing, but we're really helping the overall functionality of a job site to go smoother. You know, Love and it. I tell them, look, we're a, a seamless extension of mm -hmm. the installers. We don't mm -hmm. want to get in their way. We're not there to interrupt their progress. We're actually enforcing them to do better because we're taking something that people don't like to deal with off their plate and managing it. So yeah. we're, our crews are literally right behind the installers and, and taking all this stuff, sorting it, taking it to the lay down the yard area. They're not even doing it so much at the place. They're taking it away, going to where the containers are and sorting through that. 
Do you have a sense of the the market size for waste management on utility scale solar just in the U.S.? I don't have that data, but I will mm-hmm. tell you that for years and years, I've been going to every kind of solar conference there is. Well, guess what? I started to go to the waste industry conferences. Mm-hmm. And that enlightened me because, you know, that's their bread and butter. They've been managing waste. You know, you've got the big republics. You've got the big yep. waste management. Mm-hmm. And they're starting now to get into the solar waste management. They don't have the connections. They don't know really how this works because they haven't been on a job site. They don't understand all the waste, right? Because they mm-hmm. just send the drivers in the truck. So I go to these waste expos and I will tell you, when I explain to them how much waste comes from solar sites, their their faces are like blank. They're like, we yeah. had no idea. Like yeah. I've talked to the Glass Institute of America. I've talked to the Aluminum Association. Like I'm telling them, we have so much, you know, broken glass. We have so much aluminum. We have so much cardboard. And they're like, we didn't know. So one of my goals back to starting my business is to collaborate these two industries because they've got resources that I didn't even know existed. And then I have problems that I need solutions. So I Mm. need to work really closely with both of those industries. Have you gotten any solid metrics on the waste streams or even rate of cleanup or useful data that you're now incorporating into both your sales process and the conversations with external stakeholders to to help clean this process up? We do. And the more we do it, the more metrics we're going to have. We have a lot of projects that are one or two day cleanup, recycling. And mm-hmm. then we have projects where we're on there for months. So every project's a little bit different. Every material that they ask us to recycle can be very different from mm-hmm. inverters to batteries mm-hmm. to full decommissioning sites. We gather all the data for every project. So as we grow and as we do this more, I can probably tell you what I'm hoping is after another year, I'll say, Nico, do you know if you build a 300 megawatt, you're going to have X amount of tons of waste. And this is how we can break it down for you and show you what can be recycled. And we'll tell you, hey, if you're using that racking system, we'll tell you how much waste you'll have. Or if Mm -hmm. you use these solar panels, from this this company, we can tell you how much waste. Because not only do we track the waste, but the the manufacturers package it a little bit different too. There's something that I would encourage you to look at. When I was at Trina, we partnered with an organization to create some accountability because at the time there were like known, I don't know if they're bad actors, but known issues with runoff from solar panel manufacturers that would go into the waste stream and were just toxic. And so that there was an organization that was created called Sil- Silicon Valley Co- Toxics Coalition. Have you heard of this? I have it. So look into the Silicon Valley Toxics Coalition, and they created this list of basically like good actors and bad actors. And all of the solar panel manufacturers, like all of a sudden needed needed to be on this list. And I would encourage you, I think that's actually something that we could create around waste that would be very, very similar And it essentially gives a codification of like, who are the organizations that are following these like best practices that we've arranged? This organization called Silicon Valley Toxics Coalition that says these people you can buy from and trust that 
downstream from their manufacturing process is not like endangering hundreds of thousands of lives, right? Right. And the equivalent, since you're capturing all this manufacturer data, could be, um, you know, it's the equivalent of, of the Silicon Valley Toxics Coalition, but holding manufacturers accountable by shining a light on the comparison between two different options and the real cost that's borne on the mechanical contractor on site when one selection is made versus another in a dropdown, often in a design tool, right? The real right. impacts that that has on non-obvious project metrics. And, and to add on to that, I have been in conversations with a lot of the manufacturers in our industry, mm-hmm. and I'm bringing this to their attention. And they are like, Emily, we had no idea the design of our packaging had anything to do with, you know, what's happening out on the field. And I said, for one manufacturer, I said, look, I showed them, they have these buckets and they're plastic and there's hundreds of these buckets and they have a metal holder. I said, look at this. This is called mixed material. We can't recycle this. Either change the metal handle and do it all plastic, then we can recycle it. So that was one story. The other story I told the manufacturer, I said, you have such a powerful procurement going on that can influence what you buy. You can buy from this manufacturer, you can buy from that manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And if this manufacturer over here, for example, their wooden pallets have these big metal brackets on them. And I showed them, I said, we can't recycle this because the shredder for the wooden pallets can't take these huge metal brackets. So we have to throw it away. So they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going back to where they manufacture the actual packaging and tell them to redesign it. So again, I'm bringing a lot of attention to the actual product design. So when it comes to the US, you know, put it in this plastic that has the resin that can go to a simpler recycler that takes plastic. Because if you're coloring it green, guess what? We can't recycle that product. So a lot of education to the manufacturers. Oh, man. You're doing yeoman's work, Emily. Emily, where did you grow up? In Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I went to Kent State University and I majored in fashion merchandise of all majors, but I I loved it. I was able to study in Florence, Italy and Paris and uh, in London. And my goal was to have my own boutique and, you know, be famous as a successful designer. But I've really, Nico, I've come full circle because when I had my other business, I was literally putting solar panels on L'Oreal, Target, Perry Ellis. And especially for Perry Ellis, what was great about that company is their old facility used to have sewing machines and they used to, you know, sew all their Perry Ellis designs. Mm. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to go in there. You know, we're putting solar panels on your building. And I'm like, oh, I want to see all the fashion. Well, Everything was shipped in from China and oh, they, they did away with all the, you know, all the sewing machines, but at least they had a fashion show when they cut the red ribbon, when we finished the, you know, the solar panel project. So that was fun. And even with L'Oreal, you know, I was able to go into their facility and see all the makeup and, and min- mascara, and the lotion. So wow. even though, you know, it kind of diverted from my major, I still have a little bit of fashion in me that I like. <laughs> Did you grow up in a small family, a large family? What was that? Uh, what was that background like? 
Yep, small family. Both parents were born in Sweden. And so mm-hmm. I get my entrepreneur drive from my dad because he literally picked up his life with my mom and moved from Sweden. So I'm first generation here. And he started his own engineering consulting company. And I remember going down to his office and he had the old typewriter and he would write letters to his, his clients. And I thought, wow, he's so nice to his customers. I said, I, you know, that really stuck with me because I'm like, when I correspond with my, you know, clients, I, I want to come across that as well. So he was very professional, just, just had a lot of wonderful characteristics about being a business owner and, and coming here to the United States. And I, you know, I feel like it's just my blood. So just a, a small family, uh, my sister and I and my two parents. And then we would go back to Sweden every year and, and visited relatives there. Yeah. And uh, I take it then Oxel is a Swedish name, which is why it's up uh, and that you're quite proud of it, of course. Uh, yeah. Which is why it's very prevalent for you. Yes. Yes, that's true. Yeah. It's uh, actually a, a Swedish tree is where Oxel comes mm-hmm. from. That's the name of it. Fantastic. Any um, any personal childhood heroes who kind of paved the paved the way for you or inspired you when you were coming up? I besides my dad, my aunt. Well, she wasn't blood relative, but uh, I had an aunt that we called her Aunt Evelyn, and she really focused with me at a very young age on the importance of education, mm-hmm. and and she just really supported me and wanted me to go on and, and get my master's degree. And so, um, so I did that and, and she just was as a woman and she was in the baking industry. I thought, man, you know, she was very successful. She was really good at what she did. And I was like, wow, a woman in the banking industry, you know, this was back in the seventies, eighties. I'm like, you know, I could do, I can be successful too. You know, even though I came from a family where mom stayed at home, Mom mm-hmm. had the dinner ready at five o'clock. Dad had his suit on. He he walked in at five o'clock. We all sat down like a very traditional wow. family that way. But I, I really had that drive to to be a business owner hmm. from a very young age. When or how did solar come into the picture for you? Talk about the founding of or you're sort of falling into the solar industry through Sunshine Solar. So I was living in Atlanta. And I met with a business owner and he was really good at execution, building projects, commercial projects throughout Atlanta. And I'm very good at marketing, sales, kind of behind the scenes. And so we met, we started talking. And at that time I had a consulting business. So I would work with several different businesses and and help them support sales and marketing. Well, this particular partner, hired me on and we started to work together for a couple of years and his project started to take on solar, not only in Atlanta, but, you know, through some of the Southern states, we started to talk about like, you know, wow. What, what this, sort of solar? We did small rooftop scale projects back mm. in 2015. Mm-hmm. Commercial stuff. Yes. All yeah. commercial, no res- residential. So yeah. his business was hired by, uh, general contractor to build rooftop solar. And so when we started to do that for a couple of years and along with other commercial projects, mm-hmm. I really was like, you know, there's something with solar and, yeah. and it was very well received in the community that we were putting the solar up. And I was like, 
maybe we should have a solar business and not do anything else but commercial projects. So so back in 2015, we had that conversation. And then in January 4th, 2016, that's when we started Sunshine Solar. It was a woman-owned business. And we had our very first project. I went to the Southeast Solar Conference and mm-hmm. Network. And six months later, we were awarded the project to do a carport in uh, downtown Atlanta next to the famous Mercedes-Benz building, the Falcon Stadium. And that literally opened the door for so many other high-profile jobs, you know, whether it was the Amazon or Blue Cross, like, you know, we, we really got military bases and university coming to us, asking us to, to build these projects. So we were very fortunate to, to have a very good first project that opened a lot of the doors. Really, 2015-16 is when it really pivoted into focusing on being the best mechanical installer. And my relationship with Next Tracker was we wanted to be the best mechanical installer for Next Tracker. So we flew out to California. We learned everything we could about their installation, their process, best practices. And we did that not just for Next Tracker, but we did that for several other racking companies because that was our niche. We wanted our name to have a great reputation on. If we are going to build it, it's going to be solid. It's going to be good for many, many years to come. So that was our niche in the market is just to be the best mechanical installers. And then by doing so, we really had to partner with a lot of these racking companies. And I tell women this a lot, that if you want to start a business in solar, whatever it is, you have got to get out there and do it, or at least be around the people that are doing it. And I did that from day one with all the racking companies. I went to every single training, even though I wasn't building it, I needed to learn. And then fast forward with Green Clean Solar, I'm at these job sites. I see these broken solar panels. I know, so when I get on the phone, I can say, okay, we're gonna get a 53 foot flatbed. We're gonna palletize them this way. This is how many how many panels can go on a wooden crate. How many, you know, like I know it all. And, yeah. and I feel like I need to be educated so I can talk sensibly to yeah. our, our customers. I have absolutely a lot of passion. I absolutely love what I have done. And I tell people that even though I had to order porta potties, I had to get PPE, I had to wear heart, like all this yeah. bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, not bad stuff, but stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. I did it to get to where I am today. If I yeah. didn't, I wouldn't be the person to do what I need to do today. So that's, I look that's back. Wonderful. Yeah. You build, you build credibility. You also through the understanding of how it works, both in the job trailer and back in the office can really communicate with your peers, male and female about the realities of the job on the site. I remember uh, I had a guest who several years ago now, he said, you know, the biggest thing I learned by going out on the job site is um, a senior engineer, when I was a junior engineer, had said to me, this drawing is all wrong. And I had said, why is it all wrong? And he said, this little section that is one inch on your drawing is actually 200 yards. I want you to go out tomorrow and just check that site out and tell me how uh, impossible or possible that one inch drawing is going to be in real life. And I went out to the job site and I realized that it was completely impossible and he was totally right. And 
that I was sitting back in the safety of my my CAD drawings and feeling so secure in my engineering prowess, but I had no idea what I was actually asking people in the field to do. Oh, that's so relatable, Nico. I've been there, done that so many times where, you know, we have these blueprints and, you know, we take them out to the field and we're planning, right, of what we want to do. And we get out there, they're like, okay, what you're doing in the office is so not happening out here in the field, right? So you do, you have to bring these people down to earth and be like, okay, as an installer and building this, you got to tweak it. You got to change it because that's not happening out here. Yeah. The cool thing too is companies like Next Tracker, and there are others like Quest, I'm sure, they rely on companies like Sunshine and your peers to give them that feedback to say, guys, this sounds, this looks great on paper. (laughs) Right. But here. Welcome to the real world. Oh, 100%. And and we did that actually for Game Change. We were oh, yeah. building a site in New Jersey. We said, there's so many nuts and bolts. We're not we're not a, an assembly line here to put all this together. This will take yeah. so much time. And so they sent out one of the reps. We gave them feedback to say, hey, look, can you pre-assemble some of these pieces and parts? Yeah. Guess what happened? Yeah. We did it. Yeah. You know, back in the day... I remember 2008, 2009, there was a roofing, a racking company that's now defunct called Sunlink. It was the biggest competitor to Panelclaw forever. Panelclaw actually kind of did them in and took most of their market share. Kudos, Costa. And they, like, they had this huge project that they bragged about. It was like four or 500 kilowatts, which was gigantic at, at the time, 2008 timeframe, that they worked on with Cupertino Electric. And Cupertino is the one that went to them and said, you need to actually pre-install the modules. So they actually avoided like some certain labor requirements in the field by in a warehouse pre-installing modules and pre-racking all of it in like 12 module strings, loading it on a flatbed truck and figuring out how to ship it to site and like lift everything with a crane, right? So that the ability to listen to the folks in the field and pre-engineer solutions that actually make it faster in the field is is critical because the the field is not a clean room, <laughs> anything but. And that brings us to uh, sort of what you are working on uh, cleaning up that not clean room. Before we get to there, the reason you were able to think about green clean solar is because in 2020 you were able to have your first exit. You sold Sunshine Solar to someone who was ready and willing to help grow that business into a bigger business and give you an opportunity to sort of take the captain's chair as the CEO. Do you, can you talk a bit about what you learned through the process of selling? that business that maybe it would serve as helpful information for others who are in the process of building their business, or, or maybe it just is things that you are thinking now, like I run and own my own company, all my own now, what will I do differently? Well, that's a good point because I may want to sell my business, you know, in four or five mm-hmm. years again, because I've been there, I've done that. So mm-hmm. what I learned is what I am applying to my new business right now. Mm, tell me. So I would say. Again, when we were in those discussions to sell it, we knew we had a great business. We had mm-hmm. zero debt. Everything was paid for. We had a fleet of trucks. We had crews. We had a pipeline of projects. We had no workers' compensation, no lawsuits. Like, it was a clean business. You need to run a business like that. You know, you you need to have a good business. So when you get to that point where you want to sell it, and my tax advisor, my accountant, They all say, start with, you know, an exit strategy and then Mm -hmm. work your way back, right? So begin with the end in mind. Yes, you really do. So now that I have this new business, I'm, you know, having those thoughts of like, okay, 
what do I need to do to scale? What do I need to do to make sure that if I am at that point where I want to sell it, are we going to be in a good position? Mm. So it's very stressful. It, it was probably the most stressful time of my life because for many reasons, you know, it's, it's your baby, <laughs> you know, you, you work so hard for so many years and yeah. you build it up and it's like, you're just going to hand it over. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, it, it pulls on the heartstrings to, yeah. to know that somebody's going to take it and probably don't run it the way that you did. Right. And, and also, you know, I had so many wonderful workers that worked for me for many years and, you know, to change management is hard for them a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they know my style, they know how we worked and, and to change that was, was very difficult for them. That was a challenge, but I just, I found out that (laughs) you probably don't need all the, the lawyers advice and the extensive you know, processes that, that a lot of businesses go through when you sell it. it. It's just, you know, you spend all that money on lawyers fee and it's like, really, do we need that? Could we just not have a face-to-face conversation? But because you're, you know, it's a large asset that I'm sure yeah. you have to have things in writing, but, uh, but that, that you just have to do that. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really going to be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score? of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal the benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys. It's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast, and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three Key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how 
at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. You did successfully exit. And as you so well enunciated at the beginning of the conversation, you came out of that experience with a little bit of, of mental trauma of what the construction industry was overlooking, both in the waste that was being created, but the, the, you know, the gold mine in the garbage, as, uh, as the, the founders of Republic and, and waste management would say. Talk to me a bit about the business model of Green Clean Solar, uh, the company that you are currently scaling. So our business model is to definitely target the utility scale projects. There's a couple of reasons. As you get to larger scale projects, obviously there's going to be a lot more waste mm-hmm. and it's going to make financial sense to spend money on recycling. And with the smaller sites, you know, the one megawatt, two megawatts, we, we get calls to say, hey, you know, they call us for these smaller projects. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard to justify some of the recycling with such a small project because you may have 44 broken solar panels, but you still have to pay for, you know, a truck and dispose fees and things like that. So mm. I definitely want to help the smaller projects. But as far as our business model, mm. we have these are the pillars that we're going towards as far as my business. We have the large, what I call turnkey recycling model, meaning we get on site and we will take care of all of your waste, whether it's going to the trash or going to recycle. Those are full Mm -hmm. turnkey. And that's what we've been bidding on a lot lately is that these projects are coming to fruition in the next couple months and they want to get out there at the very beginning, which makes sense because then we can get all the data, track it, put everything in place because it takes a couple weeks for my team to put all this in process. You mm. can't just call up one company and be like, hey, can you take all this trash? No, it takes several days, if not weeks, to find the local recycling partners because right. we go where the work is and we want to support the community by using the local recycling facilities. Yeah. But if we can't do that, then we've got to you know, go back to our other resources. So one yeah. pillar of business is the is the tur- full turnkey. The other business is just solar panel recycling. You know, we get calls from companies that have had solar panels in their warehouse for months, if not years. And they're like, Emily, we finally found you. Yeah, because they're unwilling to do what? Well, they, they don't know what to do. It's not that right. they're unwilling. They just don't know what to do. And that's uh-huh. one of my goals with my business is to give them resources. And I'll tell them, look, I have several solutions or what to do with your panels. Yeah. And I'll go over those and then, and also their budget because some recyclers will charge this much. Some recyclers will charge that much, just depending on what they do with it. So we have options for these companies that want to recycle their solar panels. And then we are doing decommissioning sites. We did an amazing project in Miami and mm. we had 22 truckloads, 100% of decommissioning, it was a power site. We recycled everything, 100% of that. And even the concrete containers, we were able to recycle that. We had over 5,000 lithium ion batteries we recycled. Wow. So we'll do those type of sites. And then if there's um, the other type of uh, business model that we have is the tornado or the natural disasters, we get calls on that where they have 
thousands, thousands, 20, 30, 100,000 broken panels that they need us yeah. to recycle because of natural disasters. Got it. Yeah. In all cases, it's you identifying what can be recycled, where can it be recycled, and what to do with the stuff that can't be recycled. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you've got from very first day on the project install process, which takes into consideration from the front of the project backwards or from the front of the project to completion, the turnkey waste management solution on site. Like this is the equivalent of putting out uh, different uh, waste sorting bins as we, you know, as we think about it from a residential homeowner perspective, then you've got solar panel recycling where you help companies that just don't know what to do with panels. Most of this is from large projects where they had a lot of scrap. So panels arrive that are broken, panels get broken and handling stuff happens on large construction projects. It's no different than pallets of you know, OSB plywood getting broken uh, in, in the home construction projects. And then you've got decommissioning and cleanup of sites. So decommissioning of sites that were once in operation, large utility scale projects that were installed in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early aughts, I imagine, as along with natural disaster cleanup. I hadn't thought about the natural disaster cleanup, but you see pictures occasionally from time to time on LinkedIn uh, and Facebook of projects that mostly it's to scare people about how trackers can break when the high, when winds blow, <laughs> lo and right. behold. Any- and I'll ask to that because, yeah. because of natural disasters, guess what else? else we're starting to recycle uh you are starting to recycle uh leather no it's still in the energy renewable we are going, no plastic yes but no that's not where i'm going okay it's the wind turbine blades oh yeah so composites of course uh-huh yeah we're working right now with a, a customer that had a major windstorm in virginia and he has two broken blades that need to be recycled. And we've got a solution for them. What so a fantastic story. Buried and get into the landfill, right? Mm. Mm. You know, I, you and I have talked about occasionally, I've, I, I hear from folks all the time, they tell the horror stories. Like there's uh, a buddy of mine who, who remained nameless was telling me, um, which I think I shared this with you back in January. He said that, that he was doing some decommissioning he was just doing the mechanical removal and their job was to put them on these trailers. And he asked the guy, where are these trailers going? And the guy said, Oh, out in the desert. And he said, well, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, they're going to a big hole in the ground. And he goes, mean landfill. And there's no, a big hole in the ground. And he says, Nico, you won't believe this. Five trucks a day for more than a year coming off of a large utility scale solar project that was just repowering. They were just pulling off old pot panels and putting on yeah. new, new and improved panels. But because it was so costly to recycle or do anything with, and because there were waste fees involved with landfills, they had somehow uh, gotten private land and dug a big hole and were literally burying solar panels. That wow. is not a unique story I've come to learn because people don't know what to do about these solar panels. Can you enlighten us on what you've learned about the recycling process for solar panels, how it's improving and the the hope that we all should feel for the possibility of being able to recycle this stuff moving forward? Well, one of the things that I do along with my team is we follow those trucks. Mm. We want to know where it goes. No way. So, 100%, Nico. I have followed these waste trucks 
Because I, you know, if they're telling me they're recycling, I want to know your process. So I've gone to a lot of these recycling facilities, not just for the solar panels, but for the cardboard, for the pallets, for the plastic, for the Mm. steel. And I, you know, even we're on this big project in Maui and my director of operation, Brandon, he went and followed and went to these recycling facilities, took pictures. So it gives us a sense of like, okay, we understand that they're doing, some of them are doing a better job than others, to be honest with you, but some of them are really trying to to improve their processes, improve. But what we need is we need more innovation when it comes to the equipment. And there's a lot of equipment overseas that they contact me constantly and say, Emily, we've got all this equipment and I've met with them. Twice, mm-hmm. one specific equipment uh, recycler for panels, and I've given them a lot of feedback because mm-hmm. what they do over there is different what we can do over here. And right. and I share with them that, you know, we take all types of panels. We just don't take Trinas or Jinkos or right. Canadian, but like we take them all and they're made up differently, you know, according to the spec sheet. So every partner that we have, we have to tell them what kind of panel they are, what kind of condition they are. We take pictures of it. Like we go into the weeds when it comes to recycling. And some of it, we have amazing success stories with like the wooden box or the wooden boxes were Mm -hmm. turned into pulp and then they were made into boxes again that went to a deli company. So I'm like, would you have known that, you know, boxes from your solar project literally went back out to the market as boxes for boar's head. You know what I'm saying? Like we have such great stories of things like that. And one other thing I will add real quickly about your story, there was this big myth about solar panels going in the landfill out in California. Yeah. Did you hear about that big Mm, article? Mm -hmm. You know what I did? I drove to To the the landfill. Mm-hmm. I went there myself. I talked to all the workers. I said, are you, because I thought that was like giving our industry a bad name that yes, you know, California is booming with all this solar, but then everybody's thrown in the landfill. And I'm like, I really don't think that's true. I really mm-hmm. don't. So my best friend lives out there in California. I said, she lives in Irvine County. I said, take me to the top biggest landfill you know, places. And we drove through there. We even went as far as we could. And I took pictures and I talked to everybody. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Emily. There's no solar panels. We're not allowed to take solar panels here at this landfill. So I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about. There's a lot of fake news that happens Mm. in our industry for whatever reason. I'm not going to go there, but these are things that I'm trying to educate people on So when it comes to the end of life, you will know, at least with my company, what's happening to it. Emily, I can make a hypothesis around why people aren't already, you know, attacking or tackling this uh, waste management process. But what objections have you had to overcome in order to actually get people to pay for your service? It's the cost. People don't think that there's a cost associated with recycling. Mm. You know, you... As a homeowner, you know, you take your cans and you go drop them off and it's free, right? And so I think a lot of our EPCs, they're like, recycle? Why would we pay for this? And so a lot of times 
it's it's sticker shock. And yeah. and again, there's it's not that it's exorbitantly high compared to what you pay for landfill because we can reduce the cost of hauls because we separate it. We yeah. make the containers very packed full of these components or material. But the the biggest challenge is I think, you know, people don't realize that it costs to recycle. And there's companies out there that we partner with that are trying to lower the cost because yeah. the more we can send them, the lower their cost, you know, as right. far as scalability. So it's just a matter of sharing with them that there is a cost. And I'll tell you, some companies don't even blink an eye. They're like, you can yeah. get this off our site tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, I can get a crew there. We can remove, like, some mm-hmm. of that is their main purpose is to get this stuff off the site. They don't care. Yes, they, they're glad that it's being recycled. Mm-hmm. But honestly, they just want a clean site. They want this waste, this trash out of there, whatever you can do. And some of them won't even blink an eye when I tell them the cost. They're like, yeah. okay, we'll do it. How do you solve for that? Right? How do you find those people? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's encouraging. There's a lot yeah. of, I'm sure there's a lot of questions that others, not me, are, are smarter than me are, are having fire off in their head and we'll give them ways to, to reach out and ask you those questions later as well. I want to move over to something I know that's near and dear to you, but talk about um, how many people are currently in the company? How many people does it take to run this company right now? So we have. It's small enough that she can count it on her hands. That's right. It's that's less right. than 10. Less than 10. It's less than 10, but yeah. we have independent contractors that mm-hmm. I can call when we have a project and yeah. you know, they'll go. So, of course. And, I'm, and it's, it's not a, it's, it's simply an observation. It's really not a criticism on my part. Your business has been around for a little over a year now. Right. And profitably so. So kudos on that. I wanted to more dig into like, I mean, the industry, you can scale uh, only as quickly as you can hire the right people around you. How do you think about talent for your company and projects? Well, I have a culture that I want to create with Green Clean Solar. And knowing that culture, I want to attract people that fit in that culture. Mm. And talk talk to me about that culture. So the culture is I want a good work life balance. And Mm. and I want the person that comes to work for me to value a good work life balance. Like I will tell you, uh my director of operations, I gave him unlimited vacation time. Mm. And he about lost it. He's like, I've never had an offer like this. I said, you're going to work. I know your work ethic, uh, you know, because it was like a trial basis. And I saw how he worked. I don't need to micromanage him. He's going to get the job done. Even if he's at the beach having a pina colada, like he will get the job done. And I want him to have time off. But I know it's going to get the job done. So giving him this environment that he can thrive because I want people to grow because I know this business is going to grow and I want them to be with me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know that I'm easygoing. I don't micromanage you. I'm hiring you because I know you have good skills. You want to go spend time with your kids, go, you know, or you're, you know, working in another country. I have, you know, my amazing assistant works in another country, but gets the job done. She's awesome. So that's the culture that I want to, to build. And I want to attract people. And one lesson I have always learned Mm 
is you want to hire slowly, but mm-hmm. fire fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking with a uh, recruiter friend and he said, you know, I completely understand the hire slow, fire fast, but in, in the current market, you're going to lose talent by hiring slow. You know, I've had, I've had that pushback um, from my own team and my philosophy, and I'd love to hear yours is the person that's supposed to work with me isn't going to somebody else. And yeah. And, and, and that's a a good point because, you know, if you give them so much and you value what they do, I think they'll create a loyalty to you Mm -hmm. that they'll want to stay. They'll, they'll want to grow with you. They, you know, yeah, they could probably go down the street and get more money, but if they, if you are really supporting their growth and and understanding their life and and how they add to the company, yeah, I mean, when I say slow to hire, I just meant, you know, I want it to be good for them, not yeah. just for me. Like, yeah, I want a dynamic person, but it's got to go both ways. Mm. And and I've had an individual that worked for me in the past, and it was too much. The, mm. He didn't have the bandwidth. He couldn't do it, it you know, because we're fast. I mean, we are, mm-hmm. we're fast and I get things done quickly. And he, he got a little bit overwhelmed. So it wasn't a good fit for him. And I totally understand. And he went on his own way and yeah. all things are good. So that, that happened. Mm-hmm. So you, you gave some really phenomenal advice earlier about women in leadership and thinking about building a career in the solar industry. I wonder, do you have any advice for fellow uh, women entrepreneurs uh, in the industry or outside of the industry, but based on your experience? Well, I say, if you see a problem in our industry, find a solution for it and you will be successful mm-hmm. and, and really be laser focused and do the best you can with that problem. Like it's so easy to get pulled in this direction and try to do this, but yeah. be laser focused and do the best you can and get the reputation that you're a leader in, in what you do. You know, I talk to a lot of women all the time I and they come from different industries. And I'm like, get in this industry, use the skills that you've gotten over the years and apply it to this in this area and you'll be good. And and most of the time, these women are like, I love this space. I love what we're doing and the people I said, I know I said, I've been in it since 2016. And even though solar is so huge, we have such a great community. And even though some people kind of job hop. I see so many people at so many conferences and it's just such a great community. I have so much fun too. I have a lot of fun. I love it. Who is impressive to you when you think about folks in the industry, who's impressive to you and and what characterizes them? So, well, I will tell you, Nico, I admire what you're doing. I really do because you're a voice to many of us. And I went back and I listened to one of your a podcast with the CEO and founder of Canadian Solar, mm-hmm. Dr. Sean. Yeah, Sean Chu. Yeah. Amazing. Like, Episode 125. <laughs> I was not fishing for compliments, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, there's, we've got to have people like you mm-hmm. that can have these conversations with all different types of background, different sectors, yeah. like we have such, and I, you know, I tell a, a girlfriend of mine that's in real estate. I'm like, our solar industry is so powerful and we have such good people that love what they do 
and they want to make it better, you know, and a lot of other industries don't have what we have. And do you know that LinkedIn, they reached out to me and they said, do you know the solar industry is one of the best industry on LinkedIn as far as their presence and their communication? Yeah. Go to LinkedIn statistics and you'll see solar um, and all the hashtags is by far one of the best industries on there. I think that it's really insightful to learn that LinkedIn sees the solar industry as a a trending topic, so to speak. And we definitely have a strong presence there. Thank you. Obviously, uh, it's been a labor of love for us to, to, to develop this content. I interviewed Sean Shu at Solar Power International 2018, 2018, I think. For sure, it was either 17 or 18. I think it was 18. Kathy Heilman, our friend over at Shoals now, was running marketing at uh, Canadian at the time. Thank you, Kathy, for that interview. I wonder when you think about, um, let's just stay within the construct of your work now in the construction industry, sunshine, solar, green, clean solar, any particular salient lessons or takeaways from the folks that have helped you come up to speed, your mentors or leaders? It's had a a profound impact on you that you'd like to uh, pay it forward. Being in the construction industry, and I hear this all the time, they're like, Emily, it's a rough, tough business. And it is. It's not all rainbows and blue skies. It's tough. And again, being a woman in that environment, you know, I have seen things that I probably don't want to see. I've been cussed at, sweared at for hours. Like, you got to get thick skin, you know, and it's not easy. But I think the ones that prevail and can really kind of move forward are the ones mm-hmm. that brush it off their shoulder and they just keep going and, and doing what they're doing. And I'll tell you, I was at the Department of Energy. I was invited there for a minority business summit. Let me tell you the vibe in the room. And there were men there too, but it was basically the Department of Energy held this summit because they wanted to really support women like what I do specifically Mm -hmm. in the solar industry. And it was profound. It was probably one of the best events that I've been to because they just had so much passion and one another, like, you know, um, Shalaya and Miss Bay up there talking and it was, wow, this is amazing to have people, you know, at the that that really in the the renewable sector and to have a room full of 400 mostly women and we're looking at each other we're like dang this is awesome like I got goosebumps just from hearing like Jennifer talk to us I mean she gave Secretary (laughs) yeah yeah I was just like you know because I got out of my state of Georgia went to D.C very professional and they embrace what we do. And there's Mm. so much money that they want to support our efforts and what we do. So that's Mm -hmm. really, you know, as a business owner and to, to give kudos to the department of energy to see what we're doing really matters was amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. There's there's an incredible amount of leadership and talent developing a diverse pool of, oh, well, uh, of leaders in our industry right now, especially in, in led, 
led at yes. the Department of Energy. There's real leadership yes. there. Those women are movers and shakers. And they're like, Emily, we will hold your hand. And they mean that. They literally mean that. Like, I've had conversations and phone calls where they're like, Emily, we're going to walk you through this. Mm. We're going to help you. Oh, like, wow. they they literally will support, every, you know, my I mission and what I want to do. Because I don't have a huge venture capitalist behind mm-hmm. Green Clean Solar. Right. I don't have seed. I took the money that I sold my business and invested it into this new business. So that's what I'm using. I don't have big banks that are knocking at my door and saying, here's all this money. So I'm I'm working very hard to do what I want to do with my own funds, as well as with the, the support of the Department of Energy. How long did you give yourself to to succeed? You, you mentioned in the, before we turned the recording on, one of your milestones is that you've made it a year and you feel that as successful because you're alive. How long did you give yourself as an entrepreneur to like what runway from your own purse? I would say it was going to be a year. Mm. If I made it through one year where I wasn't in this massive debt and I was like, oh my gosh, Emily, is this concept really going to work? But mm. I was, I mean, I, I don't know. I probably would have given myself a little bit more of a year because new businesses take time. But, you know, I look at money, you know, I work really, really hard for it. And I just don't want to throw it out the window. Like, I really want a return of my investment. And so I felt like if I can make it past this one year, I feel like I'm golden. I am Mm -hmm. so golden. And it's just going to open up from here. And and my team and I, we talk about it weekly. We're like, it's going to be an avalanche. (laughs) Be ready. And I'm like, I am ready. Bring it on. So. You know, you do have to have milestones as far as like, you know, you see on Shark Tank that people give up their entire, you know, their life savings for a business and it just doesn't work. But because I've been so, you know, successful with with clients paying, like after a year, I looked at my books, I'm like, everybody paid. You know, when I had my other business. It wasn't like that. You know, we had to like knock on doors and, yeah. and, you know, please. Collections please. is a big, yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, no, I don't have that. I don't wow. have that. And I don't think I will because of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Like, you know, I go to the Delta club at, mm-hmm. at airports and, you know, it's not free necessarily to go into the Delta right. club, but the value that I get when I go there before I go on a long trip, it's so worth it. You know, people will pay for that. And I feel like our services, what we're doing for these developers, these EPCs, the installers, like I'm showing them, we do a really good job and we have good customer service. We follow through on everything. We provide them a lot for what they, what they pay for. So I feel like, you know, it's a milestone to be able to have a business and get past that one year. Congratulations on making it. Yes, I know. I had a bottle of champagne. I popped it open on a solar field because I'm like, yay, this is, you know, and again, amazing. some people, you know, don't celebrate. But for me, I mean, it's, it's a good time to celebrate. You have to celebrate the hard work and all the, the things that come to fruition. It's yeah. You have to like pat yourself on the back and be like, hey, good job. Because if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. So right. start with and, and say, hey, you know, I do a good job and, yeah. and be confident about that. I believe that that readers are leaders. I 
also think that leaders are, are readers. And I'd love to know in that vein, is there a book or three that maybe you would recommend that have most shaped or influenced your leadership or personal development? One of the books that I had read a couple of years ago was by Igor, I forget his last name, but he's the CEO of Disney. Mm. I, I, I listen a lot to books on, on audio. Yeah, um, same. And his book, like what he had to accomplish at Disney was profound. Like, you yeah. know, it's an international business. And he, he talked through his whole journey on the challenges that he faced, you know, there was yeah. a, a this, is by, this is Bob Iger, right? His, yes, his, I'm sorry. Yes. The Bob ride Iger. of a lifetime. Yes. Did you read that? Uh, I haven't read it yet. It's on my, I've, it's uh, been recommended and it's on my list. It's really good. It's one yeah. book that really sticks out to me that I, I recommend to many people that are mm. wanting to get motivated, inspired. It's really well written and, I recommend you listen to it because it's his voice that's talking. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, it's it's very, and he has a master. So that's another thing I'm doing, Nico, is those master classes. You know, I, I paid for that yeah. yearly subscription. Mm-hmm. And I listen to Sarah Blakely. I love her. And she's the founder of Spanx. Yeah. She had a huge problem in an industry. And she nailed it. Like she spent years finding a solution. And so I feel like I'm kind of paralleling her, you know, obviously on a much smaller scale. But when I listen to her, I so relate to her and all the challenges that she's gone through. Because, again, she was in this industry with undergarments that men design, not women. And she came into the space and just really revolutionized the undergarments. So yeah. she she is definitely uh, someone to read about, to listen to, and follow. She's a really inspirational entrepreneur and, and yeah. such uh, a role model for any entrepreneur of any gender uh, or, right. or 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 leaning. She's an, she's amazing. Her story uh, is truly remarkable. She's you a, should I think have her on your Suncast. You know what? I would be, it would be amazing. Emily, when you are hanging out with Sarah in the Delta Lounge, will you, pl- will you ask her? <laughs> okay. Hey, Sarah, I got somebody to talk to. Yeah. By the way. Well, it's could... funny because you know how we're always like, what is it? Six degree from somebody. Yeah. I know somebody that knows her. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah. you know, if you, if you, if you shoot all your shots and you still got room in the conversation, with Sarah, I would, uh, I'd be honored for an introduction to have her on, on Suncast. Yeah, that would really absolutely. be, a, that was, that's now going on my bucket list is to interview Sarah Blakely for my show. Ah, that's great. She would it. be amazing. Yeah, mm. for sure. Emily, I'm sure that folks are going to want to follow you. I'm going to link to the article I mentioned earlier uh, that, that got so much uh, attention and contention on LinkedIn so people can find you, but where do people most often engage with you? Where do you like to be found? On LinkedIn. Mm, perfect. Yeah. And That's the best place. Wonderful. Well, we'll direct folks that that way. Let's end today with what we call a, a bold prediction. And uh, I'm wondering, in your case, I, I often will say, you know, what's what, what's in your crystal ball? But I'm going to slightly modify it and say, would you paint a vision for us uh, for the future that incorporates uh, recycling? I'm curious, in your crystal ball, when will we really be able to integrate recycling and have 
a zero waste solar site or uh, something close to it? What's what's the critical path to that for us? And what's the timing in your view? We need about three to five years Mm. to really see that this topic is coming from everybody. Mm. I, I really think that when you see all the posts and marketing about, hey, we're, you know, this company did 300 megawatt in Colorado, or we're building this great site in Texas. Well, we're going to see in three to five years that, hey, not only did we build this project, but we recycled 85% of this. Mm-hmm. Because I really see that the importance of what they build is going to be just as important as what they do on the back end. And a lot of these European companies are coming into the U.S. And it's, you know, so many announcements that you've seen where all these solar plant manufacturers are just now signing leases to locations in South Carolina, in Texas. They're all over the place. These big manufacturers. Yeah. They they will, because I'm having conversations with them now, they're going to have this back-end recycling waste management mm. nailed. They're going to be like, yep, this is this is just as important as what we're building and, and distributing. So, and again, and it's going to be not just the solar panel manufacturer, but we're going to see it with racking companies, inverter companies, battery, I mean, especially batteries, like I'm invited yeah. next month to one of the biggest battery recyclers. They're they're just now opening their doors next month. They're having a grand opening. Wow. They're like, we want you to come. Where's that? Georgia. It's in Covington, Georgia. Oh wow! You yeah. have to send me that invite. I'd love to come to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He'll be he'll be really excited. But like I said, it's going to take time, and yeah. this is not an overnight success story. We need years to implement mm-hmm. the resources the knowledge and the capability, you know, just kind of like if you parallel it with the the electric car, you know, mm-hmm. this is taking years for people to finally accept, hey, we can drive an electric car. Yeah. So it's going to be, yes, we can recycle this waste. So it's just going to take, like I said, I hope at least by three years, we'll have so much processes in place that we'll be like, yep, this is how we do it, you know, quickly yeah. and easy and efficiently and, and affordable too. Yeah. And when that moment arrives, green, clean solar will be there leading the charge and showing all the manufacturers, these installers, the EPCs, the asset owners, the IPPs, exactly how to do it and how much it should cost. Exactly. You're spot on, Nico. Exactly. Emily <laughs> Oxlow. Yeah. Emily Oxlow Leary is the founder and chief executive officer of Green Clean Solar. And today you have been educated on how to clean up your solar site and your solar estimation process. If you want to reach out to her, we'll leave all of those goodies in the show notes. Just stick around for a few more minutes. I'll tell you how to find that. But first, Emily, I want to say thank you once more for joining us. And I do look forward to seeing you in real life somewhere uh, in the world soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on today's practical insights into this solar warrior's journey. What did you learn from our friend, Emily O'Leary? I learned that there's an unprecedented amount of waste, especially on these large scale utility solar projects. And who better to clean up the process than a CEO who has actually run a company building these large scale projects. I'm really fascinated with uh, how Emily and her team have tackled this problem head on, recognizing 
that we are in the business of cleaning up our environment, not dirtying it. Thank you, Emily, for your time and insights and wisdom. Really was a joy to learn more about your journey and how you've built not just the one company that you're running now, but the previous company. If you, my friend, are eager to keep learning from Emily and the other entrepreneurs that we've had on our show, well, you, my fellow PhiloMath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with social media links to today's guest, book recommendations, and more over at mysuncast.com. One more thing, probably the single kindest way that you could show value to us if we have, in fact, created value in your life is by leaving us a five-star rating and enthusiastic review on Apple or wherever you are listening to your podcast because it helps others filter out the noise and find value in products like Suncast, just like you have. So thank you for that. You can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast to make it really easy. It takes less than three minutes and I really am forever grateful for you considering helping us in that way. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. And one last thing, thanks to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you each and every week. You can learn more about what they have to offer at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you could learn how you can partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>